The scripture reading today is from Philippians chapter 2. Paul is writing on how it is to be like Christ, beginning in verse 12. Paul declares, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or even disrupting or disputing, that you may be able to prove yourselves to be blameless, innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights within the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory, because I did not run in vain or even toil in vain. morning. Okay. Just a minute here. Sean has an iPad, but I just have iPaper. <laughs> Old school. I appreciate the opportunity to get to talk to you guys today. Um, it's always a blessing to be asked to present something, to present a, an element of the Word of God, to try to focus one of the many ideas or concepts or teachings that we have in the Word of God and, and get to dive into that a little bit, to, to get that extra little motivation to, to spend that moment in the Word and try to, to bring something together. It's a really powerful thing also to, to take an idea and try to put it into words. It, it really gives it a lot more um, organization, even my, in, in my own mind. So it's a blessing to be here this morning. Uh, we're going to talk, I appreciate Nick's reading and, and Jeremy's song leading, talking about the light, the light that is the heavenly sunlight, and then us getting to, to, to work as the light, because that is going to be something that we, we're going to talk about this morning. I think it's a concern to any Christian, an observant one, a thoughtful one, um, how quickly our, our society is changing. And morally speaking, it, it's clearly for the worse. Uh, some people have even described it as living in a post-Christian culture. It means that some of the old norms, some of the old things that were once taken for granted, uh, that were generally accepted by society, are, are not accepted anymore. Um, some of those things like even the majority once believed in God, or that the Bible was the word of God, or that Jesus was the son of God, but this is, is no longer the case. Uh, the majority no longer accepts really principles of morality um, certainly from the Old or New Testament, the Judeo-Christian ethic you might call, or but even that there is uh, such things as morality. And they would even ridicule those people who, who do as, as being old-fashioned or unenlightened. This is true socially, and we also see this in, in the churches of, of the world. Socially, we see the kind of the decay of, of, the, of, of families and of marriages and divorces and remarriage and, and people not feeling like they even have to get married. Um, there's no such thing as wrong, no standards. And then religiously, sometimes we're seeing that in the churches where people do what they, they want. That, that's their rule, that they're heavily influenced by the world. There's a leaning on grace to the point that there are, are no longer standards. So how are Christians to react to this change in our society? I mean, for one thing, it, it, it can feel kind of lonely to be different than the world around us. But can we do something about that? Can we change the direction our society is headed? Should we perform or 
create political action committees to try to change the world through the organizational powers of the church? Should we resort to boycotts, picketing, or other kinds of economic blackmail? Uh, should we resort to, to violence, verbal or physical if necessary? How do we protect ourselves and our children? Should we change our views to conform to the world, or should we isolate ourselves and form communes? I believe that the scriptures provide the correct answer, of course. Um, in a letter written by Paul to the church, which, like all the other churches in the New Testament church, were living in a pre-Christian era, they were different from the people around them. And that letter is in the epistle to the Philippians. It was written to Christians living in a city that was heavily influenced by Roman culture, with paganism, with intellectualism, with immorality. And what Paul wrote to them, I think, is pretty much the same thing that he would write to us. And, and Nick read that very well for us. I'm going to highlight a couple things from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 16, where he said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of light, so that it may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I may not have run in vain or labored in vain. So what I want to talk about this morning is shining as lights in the world, specifically in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And I think recognizing that our society has changed is just recognizing the contrast. Um, this has always been Christian's job throughout time because you're either in the world or you're in God and walking in the light. So it's something that we, we need to be mindful of. And, and before I get into the, that text where the most of our, our lesson is going to be taken from Philippians chapter 2, let me take a moment to talk about light. It's definitely a recurring theme throughout the Bible. It's kind of a trail of breadcrumbs on the journey of knowledge to understanding. And there are a number of things like that, and, and this is certainly one of them. We see th examples throughout the Bible, a mix of, of literal and figurative elements that speak to a, a deeper truth that we can move towards. The first time we see light is in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and, and he created light. He separated light from the darkness, and then he created the heavenly bodies to rule the day and the night. And... It's a bit of a spoiler alert here, but uh, in, in John's book of Revelation, in the last few verses, the ending tells us that we will be in the presence of God, so there will be no need for any other source of light. So God created light for man, and he is, in many ways, the embodiment of that light. God was the embodiment of light as he led the Israelites through the wilderness, showed them which way to go, follow that light. That will show you how to get through this place of, of death and wandering. He asked that there would be a constantly burning light in the tabernacle and in the temple, just outside the curtain of the Holy of Holies, this place of sanctification, this place of, of holiness. One of the celebrations of light that the Israelites celebrated was in the, the gladness and the joy and the honor of public light that was celebrated by the Jews in captivity in the time of Esther and Mordecai, because they were celebrating that they were able to exist in worship without threat. And so they lit lights because they could be free and they could um, be who God meant for them to be without fear. 
It's interesting that in, in Job, there are 37 references to light because he's wrestling with his understanding of God's nature and his God's relationship with man. And, he's, and light is a clue that he keeps coming back to. The Psalms reference the light of God's face. It also, in Psalms 27, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I think I've got to, I've got to read a few more of the Psalms because they really speak to what light was to David and, and to some of these other authors. Psalm 37 says, He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. In Psalm 43.3, it says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Psalm 56 says, For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before the Lord in the light of life. Psalm 118 is a reference to Christ. It says the Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. And then it begins to describe that light and how it was going to be sacrificed for us. Psalm 119, you're familiar. It says, the Lord is the lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is the lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And that the unfolding of your words gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. The Psalms go in a figurative way because it's talking about how light perform certain things for us, but we'll look at some of these word pairings here in just a moment before we move on. But in the prophets that were speaking to the Israelites about the coming time of judgment, Jeremiah and Ezekiel were a couple, that they would be living in a time coming up where they would look for the light, but they would only find gloom because they had broken their covenant relationship with God. And so they were not going to be able to be in the light. Daniel was described as one who lived with light and understanding and wisdom, which we know was from Yahweh. And Isaiah points to a time kind of in contrast to what Ezekiel and Jeremiah did, where light and justice will reign, where light is going to be coming. We're living in darkness now during his time, but light is coming. And, and the words that he gives describing it are, are really brilliant and almost heartbreaking because of, of the hope of light to come. One of the times he describes it, he talks about the light that will come out and down from the city of Zion. So that's something that uh, Paul references and, and, um, as, as fulfilling. But the light is brought into focus in the New Testament. There's lots of mentions of it. There's a lot of figurative elements, but it is, is really brought into focus in, in four dozen gospel references, Christ expounds on the nature of light as it means, uh, as a means to understand him and, and what it is to be a Christian. Paul describes being appointed as a light to the Jews and to the Gentiles unto salvation, and the, imp and the epistles are, are full of these references. I don't want to blame for the point. I thought about doing the entire lesson on going through these elements, but I want to, to lay a bit of a groundwork because if we're going to talk about shining as lights in the world, what is that? What does that mean? And hopefully we get a little bit of a taste of that because we can summarize it as this. Light goes hand in hand with life and truth and salvation. And, and so too should we as Christians. Uh, I'm going to read just a, a bit from 1 John. 
chapter 1, where, again, it comes into focus because the light is brought to the world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And down in verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so if we are Christians, then we want to be what Christ was. We want to be a light in the world. We want to be the bringers of life to the world, the bearers of truth, the bearers of salvation. So I want to keep that in mind as we go through Paul's discussion of what it means to be lights in the world in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, because he's going to go through a few things and describe how it is that we can be successful. But I just want to take a moment to, to recognize that how important it is uh, that we be successful. So the first thing that, that Paul says is, is first to work out your own salvation. Now, as Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 6, he said, uh, first remove the plank from your own eye. Now this passage is, is one that is kind of famously misused to say, uh, don't judge anybody. You know, hey, look to yourself and, and leave everybody else alone. Well, there are two elements there. The, the point of this is to be able to help other people. But you can't help other people until you have first helped yourself. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 6 says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck of your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What he's condemning here is not considering the plank in your own eye, but he is encouraging that we could help other people with the problems that they have. And in verse 6 it says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under the feet, and turn to tear you to pieces. You can't always control what people are going to do with the word that is given, with the light that is shining. But we can control that we are the ones that are giving the word and that we are shining as a light. We simply cannot be bearers of light and truth and salvation when our own relationship with God is in question. And he also wants to warn those who are, are living and shining as lights to be careful that we may not lose our salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Recognize what it is to be in the darkness. Now, you understand that, that light, darkness doesn't affect light. You, you turn on a light and it affects the darkness. Darkness is, is merely the lack of light. But I would say that as, as Christians that are, are living in, in a, a world of darkness that uh, we once came out of before we received hope and salvation, that uh, we sometimes can be affected by it. And this is kind of what he's describing here. But Paul himself saw the need to be very careful when trying to save others. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, he said, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. 
he's doing all this work, but he says, hey, I have to keep an eye on myself. Even Paul himself did that. How tragic would it be if we're, we're preaching to others, yet we do it in a way that we disqualify ourselves? But we need to be careful, because as we shine as lights in the world, and we work out our own salvation, we need to do so with fear and trembling. Now, the word fear is not popular in connection uh, to God today. This could be a bit of a, a reaction to the idea of the hellfire and brimstone preaching of another generation. But it could be that we've gone to the other extreme. Have we diluted the concept to the fear of the Lord by our own definitions? Uh, we often kind of put it parallel with respect, and we do want to have respect for God. But you don't put respect with trembling. This is the kind of fear that Christ talked about in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. It's kind of clear what he's talking about. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear who, him, him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So as we work at our own salvation and as we function as lights in the world, it is important for us to live in such a way in context to what, is, what, are, what are the stakes. The need to have a proper fear and trembling is, is a valuable and, and a proper motivator. Um, it is a motivator against apathy. It is a motivator against fruitlessness. And those are things that we don't want to have in the church. I know it certainly motivated me to be saved. Uh, that, that moment that I, I needed to run to find someone to, to, to baptize me. Um, and I, I did run. Uh, and it should continue to motivate. The next element, uh, we're kind of moving along here, is, is uh, letting God work in us. If we're to shine his lights properly, we need to recognize the source of the light, and that is God. Um, he is the maker of light. He is the giver of truth and life and salvation. He is the standard. So it is not our own light that is shining. It is him in us. It is essential to let God do his work in us, something that he is able to do beyond our comprehension. And this is something that we have a hard time wrestling with, or sometimes we want to say that all of the work of God was was done when, when Jesus rose up and you know there were some miracles that the apostles did but now God's just waiting until his time when he sends his son. God is still working in us actively. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And the context of this verse, talking about the power that works in us, is the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. It is the same power that put him at, at Christ's right hand. It is the same power by which we have hope and life. And those elements aren't just something that happens once, but it's something that he wishes to pour into us as we function essentially as continuers of what Christ did. Christ's name was Emmanuel. It, it was Christ, God among us. And that is something that since Christ is no longer physically on this earth, we are physically on this earth. We are meant to be God among the world. Not literally, but as, as a, a, they can see us and therefore find God. So do you think that he's, he's letting us work without his, his hope, without his effort? Again, we are the torch bearers 
of the coming generation. So he is working in us. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 also mentions this saying, be confident in this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Our salvation is the beginning of the, God's work in us. How it, does it say that he does this? Both to will, to help us with our motivation and our understanding, and both to do, helping us in our ability. But if we're not careful, we can quench God's efforts to work in us. We can prevent God from using us altogether, at least for doing things that are, that are for his good and for our own good. In order to let God work in us, we need to submit and surrender to him, to his word, to his will. We don't guide our own steps. We recognize that he is the one who is doing the works, but he created us to do good works. We have to submit to him in that way. A couple of other points that, that Paul makes for how to shine as lights in the world is that we need to do it without murmuring and to do it without disputing. The murmuring element is the importance of maintaining a positive attitude. Well, first of all, if you're living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, uh, this can get us down, where we could become people who are complainers. And that would certainly render us to be less effective. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10 describes people who are murmurers. In first, let's see. Oh, there it is. Uh, talking about the people of, of the, uh, the Jewish people. He said that they should not complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Time and time again as the Israelites were traveling, as they were moving to their promised home, they would get to complaining. And God's remedy to that were, were things like the, the serpents and the bronze serpent. And he had very little patience for murmuring and complaining. But we also need to just recognize that that led to their downfall and it can lead to our own as well. But if, if we are people who are complainers, then we are people who are covering up our light. We should remember that we are not part of that generation. Those people who had thought they had things to complain about, even though they were God's chosen people, that we are truly a blessed people. And this idea of disputing, I think we need to recognize that that goes for all the people that we deal with. What is actually worth contending with about? Is it more important to get into arguments about political elements? Or is it worth contending about what is true and right along with the word of God? This goes doubly for our brethren. Unity among the brethren is extremely important if we were trying to convince the world concerning Jesus. John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer that Christ gave before he was going to be offered up. Praying to God, he said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. He's praying about us here. Not just for his disciples, but for those who are going to believe because of the word that was given. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and that I in you. That they may be one in us, and that the world may believe that you have sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I give to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. He's talking about this unity where we are not trying to be like each other, but we're trying to be like God. And in that, we come together. 
But it, twice here he mentions that this be done that the world may believe and that the world may know. If we don't have unity amongst ourselves, we're going to severely hamper our ability to show the world God. And also, it, it, Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 the importance of, of getting along, and sometimes that might reveal where our focus is, and it's not the right place. It might reveal that we might have some growing up to do. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 and following says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, and as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Is your focus not on the things of this world and those things that are distracting you? Those people should have been saying, I am of God. And that is what we should be saying. Instead of the, the petty sort of things or the slights or the other things that may be getting between us and our brethren. Those elements of, of, of judgment and those elements of, of checking our own eye first and then focusing on what is truly important. He also tells Paul as he's encouraging these Philippians as they shine as a light that they need to live as children of God without fault. Now this requires us to become blameless. Not perfect, but above reproach. Now we may be sinners, but we need to quickly confess our sins and, and make amends for when it is called for. And by the way, confessing sins is something that requires the recognition of sin. 1 John chapter 1 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He absolutely wants to cleanse us from all unrighteousness as we struggle with sin, but first we, we must not say that we have no sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Our focus is not on the right thing. For us to act as if we have no sin... For one, makes us liars, both to ourselves and to the world. And therefore, our light is going to be hidden. And if we're not careful, it will be extinguished. But we should live in such a way that says we have no outstanding faults uh, that are clearly evident to others. Recognizing that we are works in progress, but that we are not controlled by the world. Nothing hinders our ability to shine as lights in the world like inconsistency and, and hypocrisy, especially when it is evident to all. So let us reflect his light. It also requires us to be harmless, to have a certain demeanor. For 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26 says, And a servant of God must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. How important is that? That there are people who are captive, there are people who are chained, but for us to be a proper servant of God, we must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, to be patient, to come to people in humility, to correct those who are, who are in opposition that we admonish the world and that we admonish our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and Gary had a great lesson describing some of that on, on, on Wednesday. And Paul described as he was leaving some of his churches for the last time and he was going to Jerusalem and the prophecy had told him he was not going to be coming back. 
And he told the people that he loved, and he said, you're going to have to look out for yourselves. But remember that every day that I was amongst you, I admonished you in tears. Those people had no doubt about Paul's sincerity. They had no doubt about Paul's love for them. He poured out truth on them, but he did it in humility with all of his heart. We too should live that same way, that the people that we, we, we work with or the people in the world know that, that we are consistent and that we are humble, that we are not correcting or teaching from a place of pride, but from a place of, of humility and, and, and of hope. Jesus also said, talking to his disciples, that they should be Wise as serpents and harmless as doves. He said, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Kind of a scary situation, but he says, Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I send you out amongst the wolves, yet be harmless. Because Christ knew something that they didn't quite know, that there was power in surrender, that there's power in humility. Because when you make yourself less, you allow God to become great in your life. The last element here, the last point I want to make is that Paul told them to hold fast to the word of God. Remember that the word of God is, is the sword of the spirit. When you look in Ephesians chapter 6, it describes the armor of God, this means by which we can survive, that we can resist the fiery darts of the devil, the opposer, the one who would pull us away from God and bind us back to the chains of the world. The only offensive weapon that we have here is the sword of the Spirit. It is the instrument by which the Spirit convicts the world of sin and produces repentance and brings about a new birth. James chapter 118, it says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23 says, Having been born again not of corruptible, but of incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever. And Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It is truly the word of life. So let us hold fast to it, to grip it with, with both hands, knowing it is the means by which we get to uh, defend ourselves and also to affect the world around us. But we also must, it's interesting that some translations say hold fast and some say hold forth this powerful word. And I think that's important because we hold fast to the word in our own study and application, but we also hold it forth as we proclaim it to the world and to those who are, who are trying, who are willing to change. In this, we would do well to follow the example of Ezra and in the order in which he applied himself because he saw a great mission and a great need. Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of God, to study it, and then to do it, to let that word have its proper effect, to change how he behaved and who he was and his actions, to not be a hearer only but a doer, and then to teach the statutes and the ordinances of Israel. The word would come into him, have its effect, 
and then leave to affect others. That is the proper cycle of the word. And every element of that is critical, not just for those who are hearing it, but the element of speaking it helps us to take on the image of Christ. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach the statutes and the ordinances in Israel because he was a man on the mission. So let us hold fast to the word of life that we might shine as lights in this world. So in these verses here, I think that we find the way that Christians are to shine as lights in the world in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Now please recognize that this is, this is not just an obligation, but it is an opportunity. It is meant to empower us to live the life and the truth and the salvation that God gave it, gave us, and to let it have its natural effect. God is the source of light, and we get to be the bearers of that light. We are the hope of salvation to the world. They need someone to light the way, to hold the word, to hold up the torch. And as it gets darker, we will be brighter if we are following Paul's admonitions here to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, letting God work in us, that we do things without murmuring and disputing, focusing in this world, but focusing on what is above as we are children of God without fault, as we hold fast to the word of light. Let us be empowered knowing that God wants to work through us if we allow him to do so. And if we do that, we will rejoice in the day of Christ and know that our labor will not be in vain. Now, if you are struggling as a Christian, that is not unusual. Christ said to take up your cross and follow me. That cross is a wonderful thing to carry, but it is something that, that may cause us to stumble sometimes. So we have an opportunity here amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ to ask for help. So I would encourage you today that if you are struggling, if you have stumbled and that you feel like that cross is weighing you down instead of the, the blessing that it is, then ask for your brothers and sisters for help. For encouragement, we would absolutely love to give it. Or if you would like to learn more about salvation and how you can give your life to Christ and how you can be the light and receive the light and that hope, that salvation, that life and that truth and all the good things that come with it, we'd ask for you to come forward now while we stand and sing the song of invitation.